Well, good evening. It's just a pleasure to be back with you here in Not Connie. I was just thinking this morning how I would I introduce myself and, uh, you know, thinking it's great to be back with you in Not Connie Baptist Church. But, you know, Not Connie is so much more to me than Not Connie Baptist Church. It's a family and it's, it's, it's my place of family, spiritually speaking. And it's so lovely to be back with you. And so lovely to have shared fellowship with so many over the Easter break. I just want to share a bit of an update with you about my time at Bible College and uh, just to share with you a little bit of where God is leading me as I come towards the end of my time at the Faith Mission Bible College and and look to God for the future uh, and where he would be taking me in the coming months and uh, years. Since I've been away, I've been away since Christmas and Uh, At Bible College this year, we have really focused on two main areas of study. Uh, Our first course this term has been a course in Old Testament texts, and this course has helped us to uh, really dig into the intricacies of Hebrew narrative and understand what it was that the writers of the Old Testament were trying to convey to the readers, uh, both in the immediate context and for us in the 21st century. Our two, our, our two main texts for this uh, were jo- uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 to 11 and then the book of Job. So 1 Kings 1 to 11, looking at Solomon's reign and the narrative surrounding that and its implications for us. Uh, and then also looking uh, at the book of Job. This wire here is sort of all over the place. The book of Job really helped me to understand the issue of suffering You know, we live in a world that's broken, that's fallen. We deal with suffering day in and day out, whether uh, in our own lives or uh, in the lives of others. And so I found the the book of Job's study particularly helpful for understanding uh, how it is that God's people and God's righteous people uh, suffer and why they suffer and how that is all reconciled within the sovereignty and supremacy of our God. The second course that we took this term uh, was a course entitled Debates in Church History. And uh, well, it really does what it says on the tin. We were looking at different periods of church history and observing the different debates that were going on in those periods and how they were resolved and how we've come to uh, believe and interpret Scripture the way that we do today in the 21st century. If you know me well, you'll know that I love the first three centuries of the church And so digging into the Trinitarian debates around the first three centuries was particularly helpful and informative. And if you happen to be in any way inclined and interested in the first three centuries of the church, you can come and chat to me afterwards. But this was extremely helpful. Looking at our our forefathers, the the, the very first Christians that lived in the post-New Testament period, and how it was that they uh, took God's inspired word and formed various canons and doctrines uh, from it. The other area of study that we've had since Christmas was a module uh, which was a dissertation project. Um, This dissertation project was 10,000 words. Uh, And if you were here whenever I left at Christmas, I was putting out a plea, a prayer plea. Would you please pray for me as I sit down to try and write 10,000 words? I don't even think I know 10,000 words I was saying at Christmas. But with God's help uh, and with plenty of patience, and some diligent and late night of study, I handed in my paper entitled, Does Street Cafe Have an Important Role to Play in 21st Century? Just a couple of weeks ago. 
You know, if you've listened to my reports over time and read some of my reports, you'll know that Street Cafe has a very fond place in my heart for ministry, and so I felt that it would be a good thing to do to actually take a step back from Street Cafe and focus my thoughts in this paper around the effectiveness of the ministry. You know, we've been doing this ministry for 16 and a half years, and in the midst of all of that, it can sometimes, you know, you can lose your vision, and so it was very helpful to actually step back and look at what it is that we do well and look at how we can improve as we move forward. Staying on the topic of Street Cafe, uh, my ministry outside of college has continued to be focused around the Street Cafe ministry, going out on Thursday afternoons and Friday nights and just setting up our little coffee table on the side of the street with a couple of hot drink stands and some literature and then seeking to engage with the people that would pass by sharing the gospel with them. If I could give you a couple of praise points uh, and one prayer point, a couple of praise points would be that in the past month of Street Cafe ministry, so that's 20 hours of Street Cafe, we do five hours a week, 20 hours in a month if you do some maths, 20 hours of Street Cafe ministry in the past month, 291 people have heard the gospel explained to them in a one-to-one situation In a one-to-one meaningful way, 291 people have had the gospel applied to their lives. That's a cause for praise and also a cause for great prayer. Pray that God would break into some of the lives that have been met and touched. Another praise point, of course, is that in the past month, in the month of March, as I was drawing up the reports, I found out that we had six new volunteers out on the street. Every time we go out on street cafe, We need a team of three people. And so to have six new volunteers in the space of a month is just marvelous. It it, it actually enables us to put two tables on the street per night, one at one nightclub and one at another. And so again, this is a point for praise. If I could bring a prayer point before you, I just want to share with you about a man that I spoke to and have been speaking to on consecutive Friday nights, Callum comes along to street cafe often. Callum struggles with drugs and alcohol and is deeply addicted to drugs and alcohol. But Callum's also a believer. He has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be his saviour. He has put his trust in him and his hope and his future in him. And whenever he comes along to the cafe each night, he'll give us a little encouragement from the word of God, from his little testament. But, you know, Callum has some deep-rooted issues. Just over a year ago, his partner was taken advantage of by men, died in hospital from her injuries, and this threw Callum back into a state of deep deep grief, grief. And after being off drugs and alcohol, he relapsed terribly. And he is now at the point of near death because of his addictions. You know, as Christians, we struggle with sin, don't we? As Christians in our, pre, in, our, in our post-saved lives, as we're growing in our knowledge and love of the Lord, we still struggle with sin. And for Callum, the sin is addiction. Addiction to drugs and addiction to alcohol. Would you pray for him? I uh, have had the privilege of working with Callum uh, a few Friday nights in a row and have started going to pick him up for church each Sunday to see if he'll come to church with me from the hostel where he stays. Three Sunday mornings ago, I went to pick him up, and he came out to me, and he said, Andrew, I'm afraid I'm not able to go this morning. I have relapsed on the drugs. 
I went to pick him up a week later, and he came out to me. In fact, sorry, let me, let me, that's not true. I went into the hostel, and I spoke to some of the volunteers that worked there, and they informed me that Callum had been admitted into hospital with a possible overlapse. Callum is in desperate need of freedom. You know, the scripture says that if the truth is in you, the truth will set you free. And Callum has experienced Christ as his Savior, and yet he's still struggling with these different sins of addiction. Would you pray for him? Would you take it on your heart to pray for this man? Only God and only the gospel can set Callum free from the addictions in his life. I trust that the Lord will do it, but we need people to pray for him. We need people that will be willing to work alongside him and to help him through this process. So there's a point for prayer. As I look to the future, uh, I'm quite pleased to be able to say that the Lord has called me into uh, ministry full-time in Edinburgh, uh, working and taking over the full-time roles and responsibilities of leading the street cafe ministry and working uh, toward its future development. This role hopes to begin in the autumn, and so uh, details and more of the intricate stuff will follow. But would you please pray? Would you please pray that God would provide the means for which uh, to uh, for this to take place? You know, about six weeks ago, the leader of the street cafe ministry came up to me, and he said to me, "Andrew, I'm getting old, and I need someone that's young and fit and enthusiastic to take over the ministry. How would you be interested in it?" And you know, that was a real joy for me because my passion is for street cafe and for people that are on the streets and need to hear about Jesus. I was just thinking this afternoon, I'm young and I'm enthusiastic. I don't know if I'm that fit, but I trust that the Lord will use me uh, in this ministry moving forward. Thank you for your prayers and thank you for your continued support and for your kind attention. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, We're going to risk it by offering to do a favourite. Um, if anyone has a favourite, shout it out. I know it's hard sometimes when you don't have a list of them in front of you, but maybe someone can think of something. Yeah. Where do the friends to get in this?
invited to come up again and give his message. Well, as I say, it is lovely to be with you uh, this evening. And I have got notes here somewhere, be assured. Uh, just getting myself together here. In Edinburgh, people tell you, pull yourself together, man. Well, there we go. Right. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word this evening. We need his help. It's his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can be gathered in your presence here tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom that we enjoy in this country and just to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to sit under the sound of his word. Lord, the lips that are in this pulpit are feeble tonight and Lord, we need your help to understand your word. And so Lord, we pray that you would come and that you would anoint these lips and anoint our hearts Uh, Father, to understand your word as it's open to us tonight, come and have your way, we humbly pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever been in a position of extreme pressure or distress this evening. I wonder if you've ever been in a place in your life when it seems that your world is falling apart around you and you have little to no control over the situation and the circumstances at hand. Maybe it is in your life tonight that a loved one has passed away suddenly. A recent redundancy means that you have to struggle to support your family from month to month and put food on the table. Maybe you're here tonight and a relationship has broken down. These are just some of the distresses, the difficulties, the uh, trials that we go through And are common to us as human beings that we'll often experience at one point or another in our lives. And so as we come to God's word this evening, the situation for the man that we're going to read about is fairly similar. God's prophet Jonah finds himself in deep distress. Deep distress. Yet as he prays to God, he finds comfort and rest in the fact that While his life was ebbing away, while he was in distress, he remembered the Lord or he prayed to the Lord and his prayer rose to God and to his holy temple. Jonah could look above and beyond what he was facing to the one who had provided the great fish to save him from death. So as you may have guessed, we're looking at Jonah tonight. Jonah chapter 2. If you have a Bible, turn there. Jonah chapter 2. And we're going to read God's word together. We're going to read the whole chapter. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. And God's word says this. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I cried for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. 
and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's say a bit about the context of Jonah. Jonah, the book of Jonah, the events that happen in Jonah, are written around the 8th century BC, during the reign of King Jeroboam II. It should be noticed that the book of Jonah is the only prophecy book in the Old Testament which deals uh, more with the prophet than the message of the prophet. It deals more with the prophet than the message of the prophet. Indeed, Jonah's message to the city of Nineveh only takes up eight words in most English translations. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So far, if we were to take a study of the book of Jonah, we would have seen the prophet of God run from his calling, board a ship bound in the opposite direction, and then be thrown overboard as a direct result of his disobedience before God. Chapter 1, verse 17 records that the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so this is the scene that we're confronted with as we come to Jonah chapter 2 tonight. Jonah is inside this belly of the fish. Jonah has disobeyed God. He has run away from God. He is headed in completely the opposite direction. And now he finds himself in the belly of a fish. I wonder if you can take a moment and just think about what it would have been like to be inside the belly of this fish and the stench and the acid And all of the other disgusting things that you might find within the belly of a fish. Well, this is the context and this is the situation that we want to consider this evening. As we consider Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, we really want to do it under three simple headings tonight. Firstly, we're going to look at Jonah's distress. Secondly, we're going to look at Jonah's decision. And thirdly, we're going to look at Jonah's deliverance, Jonah's distress, Jonah's decision, and Jonah's deliverance. Look again with me to verses 3 and 5, Jonah's distress. Verse 3, he says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and your currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. And down in verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, The deep surrounded me and seaweed wrapped around my head. Jonah was in a distressing situation. As he found himself inside the belly of that fish in the heart of the ocean, 
He would have been overwhelmed emotionally, physically, mentally. Can you imagine Jonah inside the belly of the fish trying to reorientate himself? Which way is up? Which way is down? How does gravity work when you're inside the sea, inside the belly of a fish? How does all of this come together? He would have been distressed. Can you imagine the guilt running through Jonah's mind as he's inside the belly of the fish and he's thinking about the sailors? There's a storm on the sea and they're throwing him overboard and he's going down into the belly of the fish and and now Jonah's got the, 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 the fate of the sailors on his mind. Can you imagine that kind of guilt? Can you imagine the guilt of Jonah in the belly of the fish knowing that he was there because of his disobedience? Can you imagine the guilt of Jonah in the fish as he reflected upon, thought about his disobedience actively and willfully? Make no mistake, Jonah knew what he was doing when he decided to run from God. Chapter 1 In the opening couple of verses, he ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. It's not like he woke up one morning and he was magically in Joppa with a ticket that happened to be in his pocket bound for the the, the port of Tarshish. This was a conscious decision to disobey God. It was a conscious act of disobedience which left him in this situation. And in this situation, Jonah realizes that it's God's chastisement and correction for his willful disobedience, which has led him to this, these circumstances. Oh, I wonder if you're here tonight, and you're in this meeting as a believer. You've accepted Christ to be your Savior, and yet you're experiencing distressing and difficult situations and circumstances in your life that can clearly be traced back to a particular sin which remains unconfessed before God. I don't know what it might be. Maybe in your home life, you've got a secret porn addiction, which causes you to uh, wonder why your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you've got a secret drinking addiction, and you wonder why the boss is threatening you with a P45. You wonder how can all of this happen and yet it can be very clearly traced back to a particular sin in your life. Would you not come before God tonight, dear friend, and repent and to confess your sin before God and experience his forgiveness and his reconciliation in your life once more? He died on the cross for these sins. Think of my friend Callum that I've just told you about. Christ died on the cross for the sins that he struggles with in his life. And Christ died for the sins, unconfessed and confessed, which you struggle with in your life as well. Come to him. You know, we live in a fallen world. Oftentimes we find ourselves in distressing situations which seem to be through no fault of our own. Maybe it is that you're here tonight and Just like Jonah, you find yourself in a distressing or difficult circumstance. You struggle with redundancy and supporting your family. Maybe a relationship has broken down in your life through no fault of your own. 
And yet how does Jonah respond in the distresses which faced him here in this passage? He cries out to God in prayer. He cries out to God in prayer. In the belly of the fish and in the midst of the difficulty and the messed up circumstances, he gets down onto his knees. I don't know if you could get down onto your knees in the belly of a fish, but Jonah gets down onto his knees. Or you need to get down onto your knees and cry out to God for help. Maybe you're here tonight and it's time that you got down onto your knees and cried out for God to help you in the midst of the distresses and the difficult situations which you are facing in your life. Jesus says to you tonight, dear friend, come on who are weak and heavy laden. Maybe you're heavy laden here tonight. Maybe in the workplace you face difficulty and distressing circumstances. Maybe in your school or university life. You struggle temptation, distressing and difficult circumstances. Maybe in your family life. Not through any particular sin of your own, but just through the nature of the fallen world that we live in. Jesus says, come to me if you're weak or heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jonah was in a difficult and distressing situation, but he makes a decision. He makes a decision. And this is the second thing we want to look at tonight. Jonah's decision Look again with me at verses 4, 7, and 9 in our chapter. Chapter 2, verse 4, Jonah says, I have said, I say, I have said, I have banished you from my sight, yet I will look again towards your temple. Yet I will look again. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord my God. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah, in his distress, realizing that it is because of his willful disobedience before God comes before God in repentance. He makes the decision to stop going his own way, to stop going in the opposite direction to God, and to, 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 to look again to God, to look again, to cry out to God. And you know, I think as Christians, when difficult circumstances come into our lives and when we are faced with situations which overwhelm us or distress us or cause us difficulty and great grief, There are two options only in which we can respond. We can run from God, can't we? We can turn and be like Jonah and buy a ticket and head as far in the opposite direction as we can get. We can run from him. Or we can look to God. The one who knows us infinitely and intimately more than anyone else. And rest on him for deliverance and help. In the distresses of life. We can turn from him and run. Or we can turn to him and cry out to him. And this act of turning from sin. Turning from temptation and running to Christ. Must be an integral part of our walk. If we are believers and disciples of Christ tonight. Think for a moment of Joseph. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house. And as he sought to live a holy and upright life before God in that secular situation, 
And he was faced with the temptation of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. And the scripture says that he literally turned and ran out of the house. He turned and ran out of the house. And so it should be for us tonight as Christians when temptations, when distresses, when difficult circumstances, temptations, tempting circumstances face us, that we would turn and run out of that house and run to Christ. Isn't that the kind of radical approach we need to take as believers if we were to overcome sin daily? When money's tight and you're tempted to lift a few quid out of the till, promising to repay it when you get paid, do you give in to this kind of temptation? Or do you run from it to Christ and rest on Him who is the all-sufficient supplier of our need? If you're teaching in a classroom where gender fluidity is on the curriculum and the agenda day after day, as it is in Scotland, by the way, will you happily teach it and try to think nothing more about it? Or will you take your stand for God and the biblical principles on sexuality, even if it comes at the possible cost of your job? Every day we are confronted by temptations which would seek to take us away from God and into the world. And yet as believers, we must be willing to stand firm for Jesus and be counted as his, no matter the cost. Turn with me uh, briefly to Mark chapter 8. I was going to speak on Mark 8 tonight, and so I just wanted to refer back to a couple of verses in Mark 8 that I was thinking of this evening. Mark chapter 8, thinking along this idea of taking our stand for Christ. And look down to uh, verse 35. And the scripture says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is the kind of radical turning from that we need to be prepared for in our lives as Christians. That we would be ready to count our lives as nothing in order to live obediently to Christ in the difficult circumstances of life. For Jonah, taking a stand meant deciding to turn, turn from his running in repentance back to God. And then in chapter 3, to accept God's call and to go to Nineveh and preach to them. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, there's also a decision to be made. Easter time has just passed. Easter time when we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ for our sin. Though he was innocent, he died as a sinner so that you might experience a transformed and forgiven and redeemed life if you put your faith in him to be your savior. And the call's going out tonight. I wonder, will you come if you haven't trusted him already tonight, even for the first time? Stop going your own way. Like Jonah running away from God. Maybe God's got his hand on your life. 
Maybe God has been pursuing you by his Holy Spirit and he's calling you to himself and yet you still continue to run. You'll not outrun God, dear friend. Jonah thought he could. He ended up in the belly of a fish. If God's got his hand on your life tonight, dear friend, would you come to him in repentance and put your trust in him to be your savior? He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Come and put your trust in him. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah says in chapter 2 verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. And dear friend, no matter what distress, no matter what difficult situation, no matter what circumstances you may be faced with tonight, let me tell you that the only place where you can know forgiveness and know salvation and know rescuing and assurance is accepting Christ as your own saviour. Finally, we see Jonah's deliverance. Look again with me at the text. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And the scripture says that the Lord commanded the fish and had vomited Jonah onto the dry land. I'll not try to give you a mental image of a huge fish vomiting a man onto dry land, but I can't imagine that it was too pleasant. But what we see in this verse is that God answered Jonah's prayer in the midst of the distress and having decided to turn back to God from his sin, crying out in repentance, God answers Jonah's prayer. The comfort of this verse tonight for those of us who know and love the Lord and have accepted him as our Savior, as our Savior, is that God answers prayer. He delights to listen to the supplication of his people when they cry out to him individually and corporately. We know from experience that God may not always answer prayer the way that we expect. I can imagine that as Jonah was in the belly of that fish, he probably thought to himself, my days are numbered. And yet the fish vomited him out. God may not answer our prayers in the way that we expect. And sometimes we never see answers to particular prayers in this lifetime. And yet the believer can rest assured that God will answer and will hear our prayers. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord and the peace of God. The peace of God, that, that strange and that, that, that overwhelming peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jonah experienced great distress, and we experience distress at different seasons in our lives, sometimes for explicable reasons, sometimes for inexplicable reasons. He made a decision. He turned from his sin and ran to God for help and for deliverance in the midst of what he was facing. And finally, Jonah experienced deliverance, which was only found in God when he cried out in repentance. Maybe you're here tonight and it's time that you cried out in repentance. Cried out in repentance, perhaps as a believer, for some unconfessed sin in your life that's hindering your walk with God and has you in that metaphorical pit like the belly of the fish. Or perhaps for the first time 
It would be that you would come in repentance and cry out to God and accept him by faith to be your savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you hear us, you hear our prayers. And Father, we thank you so much for Christ who intercedes for us. Lord, we pray tonight for whoever is gathered in this meeting. Lord, whether it's an unconfessed sin, whether it is accepting you for, to be our Savior for the first time, Lord, whatever situation people would be facing in uh, this place of worship tonight, we pray, Lord, that you come. And Lord, that you would come and deal with each one of us individually. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so precious and pray that you would apply it to each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.